I just love the church. I love everything that we're doing, everything we're about. Uh, and I, I tuned in both Sundays. I was extremely blessed to be able to continue with you guys this journey through the gospel of Mark, and we were able to uh, wrap it up. But I just want to do one more thing before we move on, because it's, I think sometimes we quickly move on to the next thing and kind of just miss the heart of why we went through the 16 weeks through the Gospel of Mark. On your way in, you, you got this booklet that we've developed. Uh, the goal now is that now that we've gone through the Gospel, why not take in the entire New Testament together? You know, So the goal the next 60 days is that we're going to go on a journey of reading through the entire New Testament. Because it's one thing to get the gospel, that, that's just the beginning of what Jesus was talking about, what he wanted to do by birthing the church through the, gospel, through the book of Acts and then going all the way to Revelation. So in the next 60 days, you can say, I've read the entire New Testament. How awesome is that? Yes. Uh, no, no one is excited about that? Like, no. Listen, um, I know... Everybody has their little cute devotionals that they do. You know, some of y'all like, you know, you like to hear the same things over and over again. God really loves you. It's for you. That's awesome. But there's nothing like taking the whole Bible in, right? Taking the whole revelation of his will for your life. And so here's, here's my challenge for you, okay? I want you to start tomorrow morning saying, God, I'm serious. I'm going to go on this journey. I'm going to read your word for the next 60 days. Um, and I'm going to enlist a person that's going to do it with me. I want you to find a person that you're going to keep each other accountable to do this throughout the 60 days. Um, maybe you need... Some of y'all need two or three accountability partners, so like, this is something you can do with your crew. Just say, hey, as a crew, we're going to do this together. Uh, I don't care how you do it, everybody's different. Here's, here's, again, I'm just throwing a couple of encouragements out there, but it's three chapters a day, okay? Three chapters a day, you will read the entire New Testament in 60 days, okay? So you can split it up, you can do breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, just like you eat physically, you can eat spiritually, right? Do a chapter of breakfast, a chapter of lunch, and then a chapter before you go to bed, and then text your friend and say, did you eat today? Okay, and when they said, yeah, I had a burrito, it's like, no, that's what I'm talking about. Did you eat, like, from the word? Like, did you have spiritual nourishment today? Come on, are we all in on this? You won't be the same if you let the Word of God really take root in you. I believe in reading chunks of the Bible. I don't believe in just reading one or two verses. I believe in reading chunks of it. Like, just let it, like, get in your spirit. Can you say amen? And 16 weeks ago, on Easter Sunday, we started a journey through the Gospel of Mark. That feels like forever ago. Easter feels like it was forever ago that we started this journey. And what I want to do today is I want to reflect on this journey because I think sometimes we move on too quickly to the next thing, right? So here's what I want you to do right now. This is everybody. This is a commandment. Okay, I want you to find something to take notes with. Okay, it could be your phone, it could, like, oh, it could be a napkin, it could be a piece of paper, it could, be, it could be your neighbor's back, like, I don't care what it is, I want you to take notes, like, I, I would be lost without the notes in my phone, look at this, look, these are all of my folders, you know, if, if I lose this, my life is over, okay, like, everything I accomplish, you have to write it down, the Bible says write the vision, make it plain, Right, you need to know what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do. And sometimes you need to go home and see it and say, okay, nah, what are we going to do about this? Right? So what I want to do is we're going to reflect. I'm not asking you to write everything down today. What I want you, we're going to go back 16 weeks, and I want you to pay attention 
to the things that resonates most with you. Okay, and I, I would encourage you to take maybe two or three things. It's just like, man, I just, it just, you know when the word of God just zings in you? You ever had those moments, it's just like a zing, you're like, man, that's for me. Or, or I don't know if some of you guys, maybe you walk with the Lord long enough where it's not a zing, it's a two by four. <laughs> you ever get hit with a two by four? Like, like sometimes I'm preaching and I get hit, like, you think I'm preaching to you? I'm preaching to me. Sometimes as I'm preaching, I hear it like, oh, man, that's good. <laughs> I need to write that down <laughs> in my spirit. All right, so we're going we're gonna to reflect. I want to introduce you to a word, a Hebrew word. This word is, is, is selah. Right, it's one word. What's fascinating about the Hebrew word is that a Hebrew word can have so many different meanings to it. Right, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And the beauty of studying the Bible is that you can unpack one word and that word can have so many meanings. And so... I want, I, want, I want us to have an understanding of this word selah because it's a powerful word that we need in our day and age. It's, this word has many different meanings, but the heart of it is this, basically. Selah means to pause for contemplation or to pause for reflection, right? It means to think on these things. When you read Psalms, if you have maybe an older translation like King James or New, New, or New King James, you will see this word selah throughout the book of Psalms. It's, it's used probably over 75 times, commentary says, about pausing, like stop here and think on these things. Stop here and, and meditate. I love the word meditation because the, 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 the connotation of the word meditation is to ruminate. You know who's so good at ruminating? Cows. You know what cows do? Cows will eat a ton of grass but they don't swallow it right away. They'll just eat a ton of grass and they'll store it, then they'll have a moment to ruminate on it. They'll like chew on it and they'll like break it down and then swallow. And my friends, that's a great picture of what we need to do with the word of God. We need to take a bunch of it, then stop, sit with it and say, God, okay, how do you want me to translate this into my life? Be a cow. (laughs) What'd you learn in in church today? Be a cow. Uh, in a good way, right? It's to chew on. Because why, my friends? I think the struggle that we have is that we have a ton of information, but not enough application. Every week when I study to, 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 to bring the word to us, there's two questions that I always spend time with. Is question number one is what do they need to know? That's just information. But question number two is what do they need to do? That's application. And I think this journey is meant to be a journey where you are bridging the gap between what you know and what you're doing. And as you walk with the Lord, hopefully you're shrinking the two. That you're shrinking the gap between what I know and what I'm doing. Because we know the Bible says we don't wanna just hear the word, we want to do what the word says. But the problem is we have a ton of information but not enough time for application. And the reason why there's a massive gap is because we don't stop. We don't pause to ruminate, to actually sit with it and say, okay, let me really own in on this thing so it can take full effect in me so I can actually know that the word is not just being preached to me, but I am activating it in my life. Can you say amen? So in our society right now, we have more information. We don't know what to do with it. 
We have no time to, to unpack all the information. And if you ask me, I think part of the reason why mental health is such a battle in our society right now is because we have information overload that our minds don't know what to do with it. And so when your mind, your computer is overwhelmed, it leads to stress, it leads to anxiety, it leads to worry, it leads to viruses that only when you implement antivirus system would you be able to have a clear perspective on life. That's a whole other message on mental health, but I think that it has a lot to do with the fact that we don't sit with things anymore. We just kind of go from one thing to the next. Like right now, as I'm speaking, think about it. Some of y'all, you're struggling to be here right now. As I'm speaking, some of y'all are like, what are we going to have for lunch? Some of y'all are like, is it raining? Is my windows down? Did I forget? Uh, someone over here forgot. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's hard to be in a place fully, mind, body, and soul. Like, I, like I'm on vacation, and one of my challenges for me was put your phone away and don't look at it. Because I just want to be in the moment. There's nothing like playing with your kids and they go, Dad, no phone. Here's that zing. Like, <laughs> am I the only parent that struggles with that? Right? Like, the, one of the best things I've done for my mental health is I, I've, I've left the social media world. I've been off of it for three months, and you know what? I'm a better person for it. Because it's just another thing that's occupying your mental space. That's not giving you room to process what's already in front of you. So that's what we're going to do today. Let's process a little bit. And again, I'm not asking you to write everything down because I believe this. That every time we gather, God's got something for you if you're paying attention. In a span of 40 minutes, it could be one thing that God's like, that's for you. That blows my mind. When the word is being preached, it's a collective word, but God knows how to customize it and personalize it if we're paying attention. All over the country today, people will go to church, but not everybody will leave with the word from God because they didn't pay attention to what God was trying to say to them. So I pray that's not us. I pray we are people who are saying, God, I don't want to just hear the word. I want to apprehend the word. I want to live the word. Can you say amen? amen. So let's do this together. As if something stands out, write it down. It's for a reason that thing jumped out at you. I believe it's two or three things that God wants to just own in on each one of us. So here we go. Beginning back to Mark chapter 1. We started this journey by focusing on the fact that we're called to be like Jesus. Right? Jesus comes on the scene, right, and he begins to announce the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about the reality of heaven on earth. Right? And so to be like Jesus is to live with the heaven reality here and now. Not wait for some pie in the sky someday. Not wait until I get to heaven someday. But the reality is the moment you say yes to Jesus, you said yes to heaven now. Right? And obviously, there is always going to be a gap between where we are and where we're going to see the fullness of it. But we should be able to apprehend the kingdom now and begin to see some of the effects of what it means to be a kingdom person on this earth. Can you say amen? And so the, the big idea of, of Mark 1 was we must reclaim the authority that we have in Jesus. Speaking of mental health, I think some of the struggles is that we don't take authority of our thoughts. Yep. We let our thoughts take us everywhere, right? We wake up feeling bad, and what we do? We just run with it. But the Bible says that Jesus came not just to forgive your sins, but to give you power over things. And so you have the authority to sometimes stop. You ever have a conversation with yourself and says, we ain't going to go there? Because if you don't, your thoughts are like, where are we going? 
right? You have the authority sometimes when you wake up feeling bad about yourself to speak life over yourself. Why? Because Jesus came to give you authority over that depression, over that lie, over that deceit of the enemy. You have to take authority and not let just let your mind go wherever it wants to go. You're not a robot. You have free will. Can you say amen? Number, number two, Mark two. Mark two, we talked about our greatest need, right? That sin is our greatest paralysis. This is a story of the friend, of the four friends who lowered their friend who was paralyzed into the presence of Jesus. They found a way to bring him to Jesus. And then it felt like a letdown because Jesus was like, your sins are forgiven. You're like, wait, we did all that for that? <laughs> like, we want him healed, right? But we didn't understand that Jesus was saying, no, no, I want to heal your biggest paralysis, which is sin. Because you could be physically healed, but spiritually crippled, right? And I've, I've lived long enough to see people get physically healed and still walk away from Jesus because they never got spiritually healed. Jesus is like, I love you too much to just heal you physically. I want to heal you spiritually. And to show you that I have power to do both, now get up, take up your mat, and walk, right? Basically, the big idea here was that this moment of healing and forgiving the paralyzed man points forward to what Jesus wants to do for all of us through his death and resurrection. That is the gospel. That is the good news. He comes to heal, he comes to restore, and he comes to give you eternal life. Your greatest need is to be forgiven. Can you say amen? amen. Mark three, we talked about losing my religion. You know, we saw that Jesus' own family struggled with Jesus. His mom and, and, and his brothers and sisters were like, you're a little weird, Jesus. Like, you left your, your, your family business, and now you've called these really weird people to follow you. You know, they were really concerned for him because they were like, man, where's this thing going? Like, this is a little weird. Like, we know you. You're a brother. Why are you acting so weird? And we talked about the fact that, that following Jesus brings opposition from family members and religious people without the heart of God. My friends, you can mean, you can mean really well but still miss the heart of God. Matter of fact, all over this country today, people will go to church but miss the heart of God. Because religion without the heart of God is just tradition. It's just empty rituals, right? These people who were supposed to have the will of God, the Pharisees, they missed God. Jesus even said, he said, you search the scriptures but you miss the heart. I, I pray we don't miss this. It's possible to be in church but not have the heart of Jesus. You gotta attach the two together, okay? So the big idea here is stay the course and trust God with the results. In every family, God starts with one. You might be the catalyst for the spiritual awakening of your family, but if you don't stay the course, you won't see it. How did Jesus do it? He kept doing the will of God and led by example and trusted that later the results will be there. And we know that later on after the resurrection, his brothers came around. Actually, two of them end up writing the Bible. James and Jude have a book in the Bible because Jesus stayed the course. Listen, do not get tripped up when people are trying to hold you back. Stay the course, stay faithful, follow Jesus, and entrust them with the results to come later. Can you say amen? Mark 4. This was probably one of my favorites, personally, that just resonated with me so much, was going back to the parable of the soil. Jesus said that we are like soil. 
I don't know if you remember, we had four pots up here in the different types of soil. Jesus said the word is like a seed. The seed gets thrown out there, depending on which soil it lands on, determines the outcome of what the seed does. What's fascinating about that parable is that Jesus flips everything upside down. We usually say that message was good or not good, that preaches this or that. Jesus is like, how good of a hearer are you? Right? Like, I love how he flipped it. Right? He's like, listen, it's not about the farmer, it's about the soil. We focus on the farmer more than we focus on the soil. And the problem is, the more you focus on the farmer, you're, you're, you're neglecting to take care of your own soil. And to maybe work on the soil, because the beautiful thing about the soil is you can work on it. It doesn't have to stay the same. Right? So which soil are you? You have to identify where you are. If you don't, you're going to focus on all the wrong things. You're going to say it's the farmer's fault. You're going to say it's this thing, it's that thing. But it's like, no, what's happening inside of you? Because you're the soil. Right? And so the big idea is fruits are the evidence of true followers of Jesus. The fruits that you produce are the evidence that you're truly following Jesus. Jesus goes on to say that by your fruits we will know if you are truly my followers. So are you producing the fruits that are in line with the word of God? So next time we leave church, don't say how good was the preaching, say how good was I a hearer of the preaching of the word of God? Mark 5. This was past the stretch. He titled this, but I can't go with you. Remember, this is the story of the demon-possessed man who Jesus healed and it was a crazy controversy because Jesus allowed the demonic oppression to go into pigs, and these pigs die, and the people were like, get away from us, you just ruined our bottle line, which was their income. <laughs> in the meantime, this man who was, who was afflicted for many years in their region was set free, but they care more about the income than they care about the freedom of this man. <laughs> that will preach. But the big idea, though, the story was that he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, no, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go back and tell people about what I've done for you. So the big idea is we are delivered to bring the good news to others around us, which is a major telltale sign of how good is the good news to you. If it's not good enough to share, then it's not good news yet. It's just religion. But because no one receives good news and says, I'm keeping this to myself. Right? So that's a big telltale sign of, is this thing really resonating within me so much so that I want to go and bring it to others? Can you say amen? Mark 6, we talked about belief is a choice. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. People struggle with this because we think the moment we doubt, we don't believe. That's not true. Matter of fact, God welcomes your doubts. Doubt's part of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is self. It's when you're on. Doubt is just human nature. That we will have moments where we're like, man, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. It doesn't mean I don't believe. Because in the story, right, we see that the difference is defiance. Defiance is digging your heels and saying, there's no way. This is not going to happen. What happened in the story is they equated Jesus with Beelzebub. They, they said, Jesus, you're doing all the works in the name of Satan. Jesus is like, how can Satan drive out Satan? That's unbelief. What we have to be careful with in this journey, especially the longer you are in church, is that familiarity breeds unbelief. Not doubt, familiarity. 
It's when we go to church and we're so familiar with it that we have no idea what God's doing. Right? And so, my friends, faith moves Jesus to act on our behalf. Because the father of this young man comes to Jesus and said, hey, your disciples couldn't do it. I, I just really want him to be healed. Jesus said, you believe I can do this? And he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. What did Jesus do? He didn't say, you, 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 you doubt it. He said, bring him over here. Because all he needs is a little mustard seed of faith. And Jesus would act on your behalf. Don't believe the hype that you got to have this crazy, humongous faith for God to work on your behalf. All you have to do is to trust that he can do it. Sometimes the best prayer you can pray is, God, I believe. I just don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. Can you say amen? Mark 7. We've talked about inside out. Another powerful thing about this reality is that Jesus said that it's out of the abundance of the heart that we do what we do. It's not what we do externally, it's what's happening internally, right? So no matter what we do or how hard we try, external solutions don't deal with the soul. It's not deep enough, right? Remember, this was the ritual of why don't you wash hands and all of that. Jesus is like, yeah, you could do that, but the problem is it doesn't wash your heart, right? We can put on the Sunday best, but the Bible goes on to say in Mark 7, that he says, out of, out of your heart comes lust, pride, ego, jealousy, greed, all of that is in there, right? And only God knows that because God goes straight to the heart. He's like, man, I want to do something much deeper in you than just the external, right? You can look good, but I want you to be good. Can you say amen? So we need an inside-out transformation that only Jesus can do. This is the difference between religion and following Jesus. Religion is, hey, I'm a good person, I'm in control, I got this, Following Jesus saying, listen, I'm jacked up. When I look at my heart, I see the reality of it. I can't fake the funk. I told someone the other day, listen, you can't fake the funk. Sooner or later, the real you comes out, right? It doesn't come out when you're on vacation. It comes out when someone cuts you off. <laughs> right? You're all holy and stuff, and all of a sudden someone cuts you off. It's like, here comes the hood. You know they say? Well, you can take the care of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the... Jesus needs to take the... I was telling someone the other day, I said, listen, it's so funny because everybody says, you know, you're my pastor, I love how you preach, and it's, it's all good until I correct you. Yeah. <laughs> then it's like. <laughs> I wish I could roll the neck. <laughs> I think you are. You know why? Because deep down, you said it, but your heart, right? We don't know who we're made of until we get corrected. Just write it down. I'll move on. Just write it down. <laughs> Mark 8. Take the world. Give me Jesus was the focus of Mark 8. This is where Jesus kind of really turns up the heat and says, hey, I didn't come just for you to look good. I came for you to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And we talked about, remember that bumper sticker? Jesus is my co-pilot. If he is, you're doing it wrong. Because why in the world... Would you want to drive the car when the master of the universe is next to you? Yeah. And we're not talking about a physical car, we're talking about the car of your life. Right? We talked about how some people want to drive the car of their lives but have a bubblehead Jesus next to them just co-signing everything. <laughs> just like, whatever, whatever. You know, when we crash the car, we blame the bubblehead. You didn't do anything. Well, because you were driving. <laughs> right? So, a true disciple 
will deny himself or herself, take up his or her cross and follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said the path to freedom is through self-denial. It rubs against the grain of our society because we think the path of freedom is about self. Jesus says actually the path of freedom is about denying oneself. True freedom comes when you know you're not in control, but you trust in the one who is in control. Can you say amen? So this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where a lot of people check out. If you follow the gospel, this is where, when Jesus preaches his message, this is where people are like, I gotta go, it's about that time. Why? Because they don't understand. He said, you hold on to your life, you're gonna lose it. He who aims at nothing hits it every time. You're gonna lose it if you don't let go. Just write it down, Mark 9. He gives you a preview of glory. He said, in Mark 8, he's like, man, listen, there's no way around self-denial in the cross because there's a resurrection coming. And to give them a glimpse of that reality, he takes them to this mountaintop and he's like, let me show you who I really am. See, Jesus is not just a, a cute teacher, a nice Bible teacher, a rabbi, he's God. In this moment, he's showing them what we call the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. To say, listen, I'm going to the cross, yes, and you're gonna go through some stuff, but that's not the point. The point is not the cross, the point is the resurrection that comes after the cross, right? The truth is, most people, will go to church, but they won't experience glory. Because they never had an actual encounter where they had to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. Right? That's why a lot of people were like, they go to church, they're like, I don't get it. You don't get it because you haven't denied yourself in taking up your cross to actually see the fullness and the extent of grace, because he'll give you glimpses of glory all along if you're paying attention. This was one of those moments. Jesus gives us a preview of his true nature to come after the resurrection. The cross is not the final destination. If the cross was the final destination, man, this would be a sad, sad reality. I got things I'm praying for right now. I got people in our church who are going through some very difficult things. And to be honest with you, I believe in healing. I believe in the power of God. But the truth is, we're not gonna see all of it in this side of life. There are, those, there are some people who are only gonna see the full healing in the resurrection. But in the meantime, I believe we can believe for the resurrection now. I believe that I pray for something until there's nothing else to be done. But I'm gonna continue to believe because I've, I've gotten a glimpse of his glory along the way. But I also have to live with the reality that we are here, but we also are not there yet. Can you say amen? amen? And then Mark 10, we talked about biblical sexuality. They asked Jesus about divorce. What are the grounds for divorce? Because in those days, people were kind of just taking shortcuts and not really dealing with their relationships. And they wanted Jesus to co-sign their ways of divorce, and Jesus does what he always does. He's like, no, let me, let's talk about something much deeper than your motives for divorce. Let's talk about the heart behind what an actual marriage is. And let's talk about the fact that God created you as male and female with purpose in mind. So what Jesus does here, he takes them all the way back to the beginning to Genesis to say, listen, how about we go back to the beginning and find the real purpose of relationships and marriages? Because it seems like we're taking this stuff way too lightly, and this is a tough one because this goes against the grain of our society right now. 
We don't know who's a male or who's a female anymore. We, we have a, a gender crisis in our hand, a sexuality crisis in our hand. We are confused. It's a new sexual revolution. We had that in the 70s, but now we have a gender revolution. We're like, we don't know what's happening. So Jesus takes us all the way back to the beginning to say, no, no, you don't have to live in confusion because I already prepared you for this. Like I gave you grounds for who you are, right? And so what he does is he says, our gender and sexuality is sacred. Like we don't get to determine it. Because God did. It's a sacred thing. Just like the color of your skin, you don't get to determine that. That's sacred. That's why racism is evil. How can you go against something that God already created? Right, so, our sexuality is sacred because it's given to us by our creator who made us male and female. Now, sin comes in and, 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 and jams up the system Right? That's why we need the word of God to clear up the system, to, to give us clarity of mind and heart and spirit, right? Because Jesus makes it clear. He says any sexual act outside of marriage between a male and a female is called sin, which means missing the intent purpose of it. In other words, I created you with purpose, and when you're doing things outside of that, then you're missing it, right? And this, the struggle here when I, when I preach this is that this is where we have to decide that is it Christ over culture or is it culture over Christ? Because there's gonna come times where, where the word of God is gonna rub against culture. And at that point you have to decide who is the Lord of my life? Is it culture or is it Christ? Now hear me when I say this, all of us are on a journey. So you can't rule someone out because they are where they are in their journey right now, which by the way, I don't say all this to, to, to force people to change, I say all this to point people to scriptures, to God's will for their hearts, and I trust that we're all on a journey and that God is faithful to redeem us, to restore us, to empower every single one of us. Because there's no room for judgment or condemnation, we're appointing people to live the fullness of God's will for them. Can you say amen? amen? But it's impossible to follow Christ without coming against culture once in a while. Yeah. This is why the Bible says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of what? Your mind. It says when you renew your mind, you will test what is God's pleasant, perfect, and good will. If you don't renew your mind, your mind will be confused by culture. This is why you need daily intake of the word so you know what the word says when what the culture is saying. You can cut through the lies of the enemy and get to the word. That's why Jesus is like, I'm not going to talk to you about divorce. Let me talk to you about the reason why we have relationships. Because the sad reality is, statistics shows that marriages are ending in divorce, whether you're a Christian or not. 50% of marriages are ending in divorce. So we got a problem. I'm not just talking about all the other gender confusion out there. I'm talking about the reality that we have missed the point of our relationships. It's easy to point to the sexual confusion out there, but it's like, well, what's going on in your house? Yeah. What's going on in your own marriage? What's going on with your own children? Focus there and see the will of God. Right? I got nine minutes and I still have six chapters to go. Here we go. Mark, Mark 11. Jesus talks about the endless of fruitless religion. This is where he comes to the temple and he causes a ruckus because he made a whip. Let me make it clear again, Jesus did not whip anybody, <laughs> only animals. 
He was, he's making a point. He was driving them away to say, like, you've turned this into a den of thieves. We're supposed to be a place of prayer, of sacrifice, of worship. But the deeper truth was that he's saying, like, hey, this is fruitless. This is not leading anywhere. But I'm going to be the ultimate sacrifice for your sins. You don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. But you can come to the house of God to pray, to worship for the right reasons, for the right purpose. He was making a point that, hey, I'm putting an end to baseless tradition, religion that doesn't change anyone, right? So Jesus clears the temple to put an end to empty religious rituals. As you embrace Jesus, this is the beautiful thing about this, as you embrace Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice, you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of this thing. Now that you understand what Jesus has done for you, he's saying like, now you are a living temple of God. In other words, you don't go to church, you are the church. So when we come together, guess what? It's a bunch of temples of the Holy Spirit converging into one place. And then when we do that, the presence of God is with us. Because what? We didn't come to look for the presence of God. We brought the, pre- we brought the presence of God. That's why if you're searching him all week, when you come here, man, this thing would blow up. Why? Because it's like all of us have been in the word all week long. And when we come together, the Spirit of God just has his way. And when, when the farmer throws seeds, you're like, hit me, because I've been opened. I'm fertile. I'm ready. I'm a good soil. But if you have thorns and thistles and all this stuff, then you're fighting the farmer, and you're choking the seed. Now, that's a word. Aren't you glad I'm back from vacation? <laughs> I gotta be careful. I can't make jokes because people are taking stuff way out of con. Oh, look at him. He thinks he's. Stop it. <laughs> Pull that weed out of the way. <laughs> Write that down. All right. Mark 12. We talked about pegs. Remember the pegs? Some of y'all took pictures, some of y'all decorated your pegs, brought it to your office, had great conversations with people. It was a really tangible reminder of what really matters. Remember the guy, people were asking a lot of questions, but they had ulterior motives, and she was just trying to catch Jesus, but this guy was like, no, I'm, like, I really wanna know, Jesus, what really matters? Don't miss this. What really matters? I'll be honest with you, man, it, it breaks my heart. I see a lot of so-called believers focusing on things that don't matter. Like, we're so divisive, we're so, you know, arrogant and so prideful, but here's a guy who was like, man, I just, I really want to do this right, Jesus. Point me in the right direction. And Jesus is like, listen, it's all about the Shema. Remember the Shema? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Truth is, the reason why we have a hard time with each other is that we have a hard time loving ourselves first. It's hard to love people when you don't love yourself well. And, and sometimes in church, I'm going to talk about this. We're going, to, we're going to start a series next week called Spiritual Maturity. I think part of spiritual maturity is to like yourself. Yeah. And, that's, and that rubs against the culture of church because we think, we think that self-denial means hate yourself. That's not what it means. It's to properly love yourself. Because when you properly love yourself, you're most likely to love others. Because hurt people will always hurt people, but healed people will always bring healing to other people as well. That's why I believe we can preach the word freely, but then trust the results. We're not going to try to make people change. That's religion. You can't force change. 
change happens gradually. Listen, we throw the word change around, but it's hard to change. It's hard to have a mindset and then shift it. Especially the longer in life you've had a mindset, the harder it is to change it. We'll get into that in the next few weeks. But love your neighbors, you love yourself. Mark 13, go on. We get into birth pains. This was a tough one. Because Jesus prophesied the end of the temple and the, and the persecution to come. I told you that when you're dealing with prophetic words, you have to start with the original context because if not, you will contextualize it wrong. People are trying very hard to understand when the end is gonna happen, but you gotta go back to what Jesus said from the beginning. Jesus was prophesying the end of the temple, which, which happened in 70 AD. It was, it was horrible. The Romans came, overthrew everyone, killed thousands of people just because they were followers of Jesus and they were persecuted. And I told you how persecution is real in a lot of countries. Just this week, I got an email in Nigeria. There are radical Islamists who hate Christians. They kidnapped 150 kids, took them to the jungles, and I hate to say it, some of them will never return home. That's happening right now in some countries. That's the reality of the spiritual warfare that we're in. And I told you that we live in a country where we have freedom to express ourselves in worship, but to be honest with you, we are on a slippery slope right now. And we need people who are not gonna get paranoid about trying to figure out charts and graphs about Jesus coming back. It's about being in tune with the Spirit and say, God, you need to work on this nation. And I'm gonna be one of those people that are gonna intercede for my nation because I wanna believe that you are not done with us yet, that you're faithful. Because last night as I was praying for service, I had this thought, I was like, God, I'm praying right here, but I believe there are people praying all over this country and that's the reason why we're still where we are as a nation. So don't take it lightly. We need prayer warriors who can stand in the gap and say, God, hold back your wrath, hold back your judgment. We love you. We want to stand the gap for our nation. Listen, it's not time to bash people. It's time to pray. It's time to pray and ask God to have mercy that we don't get to a place where we are persecuted for simply believing. Listen, I never thought that we would have to fight to keep our church open. I never thought that in America we would have a place one day that we have to fight for that, but this is what we're dealing with. But it's not time to bash those who are on the other side of this because you know what I have to think about? If they knew what I knew, they would never oppose this. So you have to pray, Father, forgive them, but also open their eyes and hearts to see you for who you are because that's the way they did it back then. You know why Christianity took off in the middle of persecution? Because they never stopped loving people and prayed for people and believed for people and their enemies didn't know what to do with them and they started believing. And guess what? This is crazy. Go, go read history. 300 years later, the Roman Empire <laughs> declared that Christianity was the official religion of Rome. 300 years later, you don't understand, that's the power of prayer and staying consistent. Right? So we look forward to his return, actively living it out, not becoming Tuesday prepper, move to Montana, buy a bunch of guns. <laughs> okay? That's not what we're doing. We gotta actively live for Jesus. Can you say amen? amen. 
I'm almost done. 14. Another personal favor of mine in this journey was 14. Because 14 shows you the, this, this contrast in devotion between Mary and Judas. This woman, Mary, just wanted to express her devotion to Jesus. She broke open this perfume, which was expensive, a year's wage. And they criticized her for it. Jesus praised her for it. Jesus said, man, you, she did a beautiful thing for me. She invested in me, in my burial. And we saw that Judas was instigating this criticism because Judas didn't really care about the poor. He cared more about pocketing the money for himself. And, this, and the thing that, that, that just messed with me about chapter 14 was the reality that Judas was with Jesus for three years. He saw every miracle, heard every message, was part of his inner circle. But the reality is, he had a different agenda. You know what the saddest reality about church is? You can be in it, but it doesn't mean it's getting in you. So the question we all gonna have to face at some point, this is not if, it's when. Will you follow a God that won't meet your expectations? Because Judas had an expectation of Jesus that didn't fit Jesus' agenda. We're all gonna be there, trust me. You're gonna be disappointed at some point because you thought God's supposed to co-sign this thing whatever that is. But can you trust that he's a God who has a bigger plan that you can ever imagine or think? Because when he betrayed him, what did he say? He said, friend. Even in the betrayal, Jesus loved him. Man, that goes right through me every time I say it. Because I told you, we have to be honest and say, there are moments that I am a Judas. I have my own agenda. There are moments that I want God to do certain things and want things to go a certain way. Right? We're gonna have those moments. Each one of us is as close to Jesus as we want to be. It has nothing to do with how spiritual you are. It's how connected you want to be with him. Judas was that close. Some people say, I wish I was, I was there when Jesus walked the earth. What Jesus did. And he still denied Jesus. And we talked about the difference between remorse and repentance. Judas felt remorse, took matters into his own hand and took his life Peter denied Jesus but felt remorse but went to Jesus asked for repentance and Jesus reinstituted Peter. I believe Jesus would have forgiven Judas the same way he forgave Peter. So no one is too far gone. The thing is, are you willing to submit even when things don't go your way? Can you say amen? Mark 15, this was wildly, I watched this on vacation and I, I texted immediately after the message, I said, man, what a great title. I love you to death. That's the t just the title preaches. Like, I love you to death. You know, some people say a lot of things he didn't say. He demonstrated. I love you to death. We, you know, we, in our life, we've heard pe people have made empty promises to us. I got your back. And then they didn't. I'm with you. And then they weren't. Matter of fact, all of them deserted him in this moment. But he was saying, I love you to death. I love you this much. He paid a high price for you. Every time you see a cross, that's a reminder. I love you to death. Not a metaphor, but an actual sacrifice. So will you live for him? That's why when he says, do you love me? He's saying, man, I love you. 
This is not an obligation. This is not a burden. This is an exchange of connection and intimacy. I love you and you love me. I didn't just say I love you. I demonstrated that I love you. That's the heart of this thing. I love you to death. And then Dre ended last week by talking about glorious purpose. And Dre told us, which was, by the way, I was so glad. I told him, I said, I'm so glad you, you focused on the woman. Because in that culture, women were degraded. Matter of fact, some people, the reason why we believe this thing so much is that there's no way, if you were telling, you were trying to tell a fairy tale, you would not include women. Because no one believed the testimony of a woman. But Jesus did. Matter of fact, they were the only ones courageous enough to stick around. Have you noticed, every time we do baptisms, there's 90% women. And we over here talking about we're the thugs. No, you're not. You don't, you don't have the guts to stand up and follow Jesus like women do. As a man and as a pastor, I think about that every time. I'm like, I sit there and I go, God, again, more women than men. And I'm not knocking us, I'm just saying, man, like, look at the devotion. Go, go study church history. The woman has helped Christianity come so far, and we try to shun them, or you can't preach, you can't do this. Some churches, woman cannot even get up on a stage. It's like, what are we, and you, you wouldn't even be born if it wasn't for a woman. It's like, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? I'm so glad we have amazing women in this house. You go, girl. You go. And fellas, don't get me wrong, you're, you're good too, but we gotta give women their due. Right? He said to us, he said, by faith, our identity is found in Jesus. By faith, we remain anchored in his word. And by faith, God is in control. Why do we come every Sunday? Because he was raised on a Sunday morning. And every Sunday is a reminder, we have a risen Savior. We have a risen Savior. Things might seem crazy, but we got a risen Savior. And he's not done yet. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? What's three things that he's owning in on you? Don't just hear the word. Be a doer. It's impossible to live this journey without the Holy Spirit. Impossible. You can try to be a good person. That's not following Jesus. My friends, following Jesus is a life of surrender. Following Jesus is saying, Lord, I don't have what it takes. I'm surrendering to you. Please hear me. Just because you're here today does not mean you're following Jesus. You have to surrender. You have to submit. You have to let him lead the way. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It all starts with you genuinely, honestly asking him to save you. I love that that, that that happens anywhere. You could be driving home today. You can, you can have a moment with Jesus on your way home. It could be tomorrow at work, or it could be today. It's, all, it's up to you. It's your choice to surrender. And if you want to surrender, listen, 
We would love to connect with you. After church, you see people with a sign that says, ask me about a free Bible. We have a room in the back there, a next steps room, just to connect with you, just to pray with you and help you. But we like to create pockets for people to just wrestle with the message. This is what the altar is about. The way I look at the altar is it's a portal. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an entryway for you to get closer to God and his will for your life. So as we do the song, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to say, Jesus, help me bridge the gap between what I know and what I'm doing. And give me the strength to put into practice the things that you have revealed to me by the power of your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you. Teach me to pause, selah, to chew on this stuff and to let your Holy Spirit lead me. So Father, we open our hearts to you. We don't want to just hear the word. Spirit of living God, fall fresh on us. Lord, as we worship you, come have your way with each and every one of us. Lord, help us to bridge the gap between what we know and what we're doing. Help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to be submissive, to be obedient, to be your followers. Have your way. Have your way, we pray, Jesus. Let's worship. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.